you and I, we're conditioned to think in physical terms. We tend to measure value and worth in tangibility. But we need to be reminded, each one of us, that our faith does not operate in that way. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message today is called A Great Assembly. And uh, Jonathan used a, a big word right there. He said we tend to measure our value and worth in tangibility. What do you mean by that? Well, Hebrews is fascinated by this idea that we as human beings veer toward that which we can touch, what we can take hold of. And of course, that's true. We, we use our eyes and our, we see things in our ears and we hear things and we use our senses to touch. And, and all of that is very, very important to us as physical beings. But Hebrews wants to say we mustn't place our trust in that which is tangible. We need to respond to the Word of God when he talks to us about things unseen. We need to respond to his Word, to his promises, and place our hope in some unseen, some intangible realities. And he contrasts, actually, he in a wonderful contrast here, he contrasts Mount Sinai in the wilderness, where the people met with God in the Old Covenant, and Mount Zion above the unseen heavenly Jerusalem. And he said, we are people who have our home in the heavenly Jerusalem. It's unseen right now, but we need to trust God that that's where our home is, and we need to place our hope in things unseen. Very, very hard for us as, as physical creatures to do that, but it's the essence of faith, and it's vital for our faith that we do that. So we're going to look a little bit uh, more deeply at how we do that and what that means for us uh, from the book of Hebrews. We are in chapter 12, so grab a Bible and join us there as we begin our message, The Great Assembly. Here is Jonathan. One of the greatest challenges we face as Christian believers is the challenge to avoid placing our trust and our hope in the material things of this present world. In a sense, this present pandemic has helped us just a little bit in this. Many of the things of this world and many of the institutions of this world have been shown in recent days to be weak and fragile unworthy of our ultimate trust. Governments have been unable to spare us the destabilizing social effects of this pandemic. Business leaders have been unable to save our economy and our investments. If anything, this pandemic has loosened our grip a little on the things of this world, and that's no bad thing for us in spiritual terms. But nonetheless, this is a challenge for us. As Christians, we have placed our trust in a Savior whom we cannot see, a, a high priest who serves in a heavenly sanctuary that is beyond our view at the present time. We hope for a future in a glorious home that we have not yet visited. We long for an inheritance upon which we have not yet laid our hands. But the things of this world, well, they are real enough to us. The, the pleasures of this world, they beckon us. They, they call to us each day. The pursuits of this world are before our eyes and within our reach. The possessions of this world, they entice us. And our constant danger is that we're going to loosen our grip on the unseen realities spoken of in the Word of God 
and we will place our hope instead in the tangible pleasures, possessions, pursuits of this world. Our danger is that we will abandon the untouchable, the intangible, for the touchable, the very tangible things around us. If you were with us last week, you will remember that the writer warned us not to follow in the footsteps of Esau, verse 16, who sold his birthright and the unseen promises of God for a single meal, for a measly bowl of stew to satisfy his immediate hunger. Esau, we saw, was an idolater who preferred the cheap things of this world over and above the great promises of God in unseen things yet to come. And the writer wants us to avoid that danger ourselves. And so he reminds us that in coming to Christ, we have not come to something that is touchable. Verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, and a tempest. The picture that the writer is painting for us here is the picture of Mount Sinai in the wilderness when Moses met with the Lord to receive the law in Exodus 19. The, the Sinai experience was a very physical, a very sensory experience. The people gathered at the foot of the mountain. There was thunder and there was lightning and a tempest and a loud trumpet blast. Unsurprisingly, the people trembled. The Lord descended to Sinai and Moses went up the mountain to meet him. But the Lord warned Moses not to allow the people to approach the mountain or to try to climb it lest they be destroyed by attempting to come into the very presence of God. And in this dramatic context, the Lord gave Moses the law on tablets of stone for the people to obey. Now, here in Hebrews 12, Mount Sinai comes to represent, really, the whole of the Old Covenant religion, the whole of the law. We need to remember at this point a little bit of the background of Hebrews and what's going on in the background here to this great letter. It was written to Jewish background believers who were evidently tempted, probably due to some social pressure, to abandon their faith in Jesus and to return instead to Judaism, to Old Testament religion. Their friends were no doubt worried about their spiritual well-being, and, and they were telling them, look, you say you have a priest in heaven, but how can you actually be sure that God accepts you, that your sins are forgiven? You know, you need to come back to the synagogue. You, you got to come back to the temple. You need to visit the Levitical priests and you need to watch that priest go into the Lord's presence with your offering for your sin, with that sacrifice. You need to go through the proper channels here. You need to go through the proper motions. And if you do that, you can be reassured. You'll know you're safe before the Lord. And they were probably nervous, these believers. What if we're not actually safe with Jesus, our great high priest? What if we would be better off with the rites and the rituals of Judaism once more? And the writer says to them, quite simply, in coming to Jesus, you have not come to something that may be touched. You haven't come here in faith to Jesus. You haven't come to something that you can put your hands on or see with your eyes or experience in physical terms in the here and now. 
Yes, Old Testament religion did have a very physical, a very sensory, tangible aspect to it. That was part of the arrangement at that time. But as you look back on it, don't you see and recognize that there was something a little bit frightening and a little bit distant about that? You know, you didn't come into the very presence of God at Sinai. He warned you to stay back, in fact. And the physical elements signaling the Lord's presence, the uh, thunder and the lightning and so on, those things actually signaled your distance from God and the fact that you couldn't come near to Him. And, and the same was true of the temple system. Think about the arrangement of the temple. It's about courtyards and barriers and curtains and priests who have to go near to God on your behalf as, as representatives and mediators. The Old Testament pattern, it was not the ultimate destination. It was an interim setup, an interim measure. The physical aspects of that were often visual aids that pointed forward to a greater reality yet to come. Now, in coming to Jesus... You have not come to that which may be touched. It is fundamentally different in that way. Now, that was a vitally important lesson for the first hearers to take on board. And it is a vitally important lesson for us today as well. We generally struggle, I think, to imagine that we have something of substance or of value if we can't see it or feel it or hold it in our hands. I always find it amusing when buying new tech products, either very small tech items or software packages in days gone by. I always find it amusing that companies feel the need to pack them in boxes much larger than required, sometimes when no packaging really would be needed at all. I remember when you did still buy software packages, programs in stores, Manufacturers made a point of giving you, you know, really quite a big box for the new software suite that you were buying, and you'd open it up, and all there would be inside really would be a, a couple of CDs and maybe a little bit of literature, not much else. But the manufacturers and the vendors have tended to do that because we feel if we're not getting a big box with a bit of weight to it, we aren't getting anything of value. You and I, we're conditioned to think in physical terms. We tend to measure value and worth in tangibility. But we need to be reminded, each one of us, that our faith does not operate in that way. Now, for some listening this morning, you may have actually come from a more ritualistic religious background. And perhaps because of that, you struggle just a little bit uh, with a lack of rights and rituals and smell and visual elements in, in our style of corporate worship. Maybe that's an issue for you. Those rituals, they, they were so familiar, and you did find some comfort in them. And if that's your background, Hebrews would remind you that we don't come to God through physical things here in this world, through a, a special building or a special set of words or actions, sights, sounds, smells. We come to Him by faith. For all of us in this present season, when we can't meet together as a church, when we can't meet in, in our building, it's actually a season that I think is reinforcing this lesson for us in quite a profound way. This may turn out to be a season when this particular lesson can actually sink into our hearts and find fertile ground in our hearts. 
the, the way in which we practice our, our faith is not very ritualistic at all. And yet, even for us, some of the familiar aspects of our, our corporate worship, they, they come to mean quite a lot to us. Just being able to meet in our familiar building where I'm standing now and going through the habitual motions of our worship services, we, we can attach more comfort to that and more security than we may realize. And being forced to cut away all those things at the present time, it actually reminds us that our access to God and the function of our faith in Jesus Christ does not rest on being in a building or doing things the way we've always done them. We want to see one another again, and we want to get back to normal church services. But this enforced absence, it is an opportunity, I think, for us to remember that our building and our habits and our patterns, they are not at the heart of what it means to come to Jesus and to walk with him by faith. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called The Great Assembly, as we continue our look at Hebrews chapter 12 today. If you happen to miss any part of this broadcast, you can always come to our website and listen online, because maybe you join us late or you have to leave early. Well, don't miss it. Come to EncounterTheTruth.org, and there you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, our website address, EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, I hope you'll consider giving a gift of support because we truly depend on your generosity to stay on the air. As you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org. All right, back to the message. Here is Jonathan. We've not come to something touchable. That's the first lesson here. And the second one is really just the other side of the coin. We have, in fact, come to something entirely untouchable. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hebrews has taught us already that Jesus is our great high priest who has ascended to the Father's right hand and is there now, even now, ministering on our behalf. When we come by faith to Jesus, when we are joined by the Spirit to Jesus so that we are united to Him, here is what happens. By faith and in Christ, we join Jesus in heaven. We're not there yet physically. There's a big sense in which we still have yet to arrive there. But because we are truly united to our Savior, who is now seated above, there is a sense, a real sense, in which spiritually we are with Him there even now. Now, just in case you think I'm a little bit out to lunch here, let me just mention that this is the same truth that the Apostle Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, where he says this, 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a wonderful, mysterious reality here. In spiritual terms, we have arrived in heaven by faith through our union with Jesus Christ. But we are at the very same time not yet there. And we still have heaven to look forward to. Now, I won't pretend to dissect or explain all the mechanics of that for you. I couldn't begin to unpick it fully. But I will invite you to wonder with me at the truth of it. It is an extraordinary thing. In contrast to the rather frightening portrait of Mount Sinai, the portrait of this other mountain, uh, Mount Zion, it's so much more appealing. Mount Zion is the mount upon which Jerusalem was built, but it becomes the symbol of the, the true home of God, heaven above. Here in Hebrews 12, it becomes the symbol of the new covenant by which we gain access to God. And the writer wants us to see that we have come to God himself if we have come to Jesus. And coming to the presence of God himself as the people of God, it is a joyful thing. When we come to this heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, we come, verse 22, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. We come to a grand and glorious celebration involving the angels We come to the assembly, the the church of the firstborn, that is of the beloved children of God whose names are enrolled in heaven, written in heaven. This is the invisible church. This is the true church of God. Every genuine believer in every visible congregation on earth is part of this great invisible spiritual gathering in Zion above. It is all God's truly saved people. Added to this, we've come to God himself, the writer tells us. Under the old covenant, a true approach to God was not possible. It wasn't safe for a sinful people to come into the presence of a holy God. But because of the cleansing work of Jesus Because of his blood that was shed for us at Calvary, we can now approach the Lord himself. We can approach his very presence. We come, the writer tells us, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That is, to the spirits of the saved people of God who have gone before us, whose salvation has been completed and perfected, who are now free of the presence of sin in their lives, perfect in holiness. We come to them even by faith. And you know, it's quite a thought that by faith and through our union with Christ, we are somehow gathered above with the saints who have gone home before us. Many of us can think of loved ones who know the Lord and who have died in Christ and have gone before us to this heavenly city. And and the separation is, is, is hard. Maybe even today you are grieving the loss of a loved one who who has gone ahead of you to heaven. And the burden of that grief is very heavy for you even this morning. We're, We're separated from them physically. But the writer would remind us our bond with them in Christ 
it remains. Now that is a wonderful thing to consider. That is a tremendously comforting truth to ponder. Finally, in this great portrait of Zion above, we have come to Jesus, verse 24. We have come to the mediator of the new covenant by which we have access to God, by whom we have access to God. We've come to his sprinkled blood, the blood that cleanses us, the blood that allows us to be members of this great church and citizens of this great city. It's the blood which Hebrews tells us speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You may remember how the story of Abel went in Genesis 4. Cain and Abel were brothers, both sons of Adam and Eve. Cain killed Abel. God asked Cain where his brother was. Cain denied all knowledge, and God said to him, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Abel's blood, it cried out to God. And what did it cry? It cried out a demand for justice. It cried out the declaration of Cain's guilt. It demanded a curse upon him. But the blood of Jesus, says the writer of Hebrews, it speaks a better word in heaven. It speaks not a demand for justice, but an insistence of pardon. It cries out not of our guilt, but of our forgiveness. It, it cries out not a word of curse, but a word of blessing. We might ask to whom this blood speaks. Does it speak to God on our behalf? Yes, I think it does. Does it speak to us here below, beckoning and urging us on to heaven, welcoming us there? Yes, I think it, it does that too. I remember coming across a rather nice comment from an 18th century German theologian by the name of Bengel, who wrote that this blood speaks in heaven for us and from heaven to us. And I think it does. Friends, in Christ and by faith, we have come to something wonderful if we have come to Jesus. We have come by faith to the glorious and the happy city of God. It's wonderful, but it's not yet touchable. We, we can't yet see it with our eyes or feel it with our hands, but it is real, Hebrews would remind us. It is entirely real, entirely substantial. And our great challenge today, our great need, is to resist the temptation to place our hope and our trust in things that are touchable, but rather by faith to set our eyes on our intangible home above. Our challenge is to remember and believe that we are there now in spiritual terms, even by faith. Our challenge is to believe that we have access, to know that we have a, a welcome, to remember that this place is our true and our future home. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Great Assembly. Well, we have to pause right here, but we'll continue next time as we are going to look at how we respond to some of the truths that we've been looking at today. If you want to listen to this broadcast again, just come to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you are a regular listener to this broadcast, you know that Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and that's exactly what it sounds like. We depend on your generosity to stay on this station 
But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross. And Jonathan, I think this is a great book to show us that you know, salvation and entrance into heaven is entirely because of Jesus. Well, that's exactly right, and it's one of the reasons we're thrilled to be able to make this resource available, either for you, if you know Jesus, to be reminded of the wonderful story of how he welcomes that thief on the cross to join him this day in paradise, not because the thief had done anything to earn his salvation, but because of the work that Jesus was doing on the cross, even at that very time. But it's a wonderful resource, I think, to be able to share with those who don't yet have the hope of heaven because they don't know Jesus. And we want to be inviting others to receive that hope, to join us in heaven uh, through trusting in the Savior who came. And so we, we hope that you'll be able to take hold of this resource and share it as well with those who might be glad to read it and receive it. Well, we want to send you a copy of this book, Heaven, How I Got Here, against the story of the thief on the cross. Our thank you for your financial support this month. You can give your gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Or again, our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.